You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. You got here. Thank you so much. You're watching online. We're glad you're joining in. Um, this morning, again, today is kind of a big day for us. For a couple of years, we've been talking about planting a church in Augensburg, and today is our launch Sunday for that. It's about to start at 11 a.m., and so I'm actually going to kind of rush out, but we got a team of people there, a, a great group of people that are from Augensburg, too. They're all re- there getting ready, and uh, honestly, we'll probably show some pictures. I don't have them today, but we have some pictures of just the renovations we did to the building. If you don't know uh, the story there, Grace Covenant Church uh, that's been there for almost 30 years had Kind of, we started meeting, and they basically just, in a long story short, decided to give us their building and their finances, what was left, and they have turned over the property to us. So we had a free building given to us, which is just amazing, and uh, we're believing for a new day there, right? We're believing that God isn't just going to do something new, but he's going to restore that which was old as well. And I, I loved Barb's prophetic word this morning. And if you don't know what prophetic words are, this is what all it means. Not, it's not supposed to be weird. It literally means this, that God is speaking to us, and sometimes we hear it and we tell other people what we hear. God is speaking to you. You know, he doesn't just speak in audible ways. I've never heard an audible voice, but sometimes God gives us impressions. He speaks to our heart, and sometimes he's giving us a message to encourage and build up people around us. That's what Barb did this morning. And so when, when she kind of spoke those words that there's going to be recovery, you know, I think of the, the Bible story where David comes back, and it's a long story, but David comes back from basically being in a battle to find his city ransacked, and all of his family and all the family's gone, and everything they have burned to the ground and stolen. And it says he weeps, and, and he's there, you know, all of his men, they're just basically broken, they think, you know, everything's just destroyed. And he asks God this question, should I chase after them? And he's talking about the people who took his family. And and God said, go after them for you will surely recover everything that was stolen. I think that's the word for us. You know, a lot's been stolen the last couple years, right? A lot's been stolen. And I, I love this because this word, because this word recovery, because today I really believe one of the things God wants to restore and have us recover is joy. I don't know about you, but I would say that over the last couple years, if not just a general sense of life at times, it's hard to say I have joy. Is that hard for anybody else? Raise your hands for this so I don't feel alone. Thank you. There, look around. Other people could say they don't necessarily feel like they have joy at times. But listen, God wants to give us joy even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. And that's where I want to pick up today. I actually want to tell a quick story out of 2 Samuel 12. Um, it's not a pretty story. It's, it's R and X rated. Um, I will stay away from some of the X rated portions of it. But basically the story here is that David is king and he uh, lets it go to his head. Now we remember the story of you know David and Goliath and this beautiful young shepherd boy who's just out there, the youngest of his siblings, and God anoints him king. And that's kind of the picture we like to hold on to of David. Well, that David may not exist during this story. During this story, it's many years later, and David now is the king of Israel. 
So he has the promises of God, but he's allowed some of it to go to his head, and he kind of acts like a king who can get whatever he wants. And um, I don't really understand the circumstance or how the city is laid out, but it says one night he's in his bedroom looking out over the city, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing on top of a house. And I guess that was common. They would bathe on the top of their houses. So he's watching this woman bathe. Okay? Right away, bad news. This is not something you should do. This is King David. And he gets, he basically gets this lustful urges in his heart, and he wants this woman for himself. Now, what was going on in those days with kings is they would often take way more wives than they were supposed to, which is more than one. And they would take them for themselves, and they'd have lots of children, or they'd have things called concubines, which is even worse. And David kind of was practicing in these ways at times. He, he looks at this woman, and she, he goes to his guards. He says, who's that woman out there? And it turns out this woman's name is Bathsheba, and her husband is you know, one of his officers in his army. And so David, being the righteous man after God's own heart, decides up a plan where he's going to send the wife's husband, or the husband of this woman, to the front lines of this military battle so that he dies. And he does. So he arranges this guy's death. And then he takes Bathsheba for himself. He goes and he basically... Now listen, this is where the stories are never very, you know, filled with detail, and I don't think we want them to be filled with detail... But at the end of the day, this woman probably had little to no choice. He's a king, and he says, now I want you to be my wife. She has to be his wife. So he gets Bathsheba pregnant. He steals this this man's wife, and this story kind of takes place where this is what happens. Nathan now comes, who's a prophet to the nation. Nathan comes in in, uh, 2 Samuel 2. And he basically ends up telling, actually, I'm in the wrong chapter. 2 Samuel 12. Yeah, that'd be way too early for the story. 2 Samuel 12, Nathan comes and basically rebukes David, calls David out for what he did. A murderer, adulterer, I mean, pretty bad stuff. You know what's crazy is that after this story is when David gets described as a man after God's own heart. That should help you out. And so David does this wicked stuff. Nathan comes and calls him out, who's this prophet, basically says, you, you know, he tells a story, and, and David's like, oh my gosh, who would, who would act this way? And he tells this kind of you know, parody story to what David just did, and David's furious, and he's like, who is this man? I'm going to kill him. And Nathan goes, it's you. And David repents. He says he falls down, he repents. He realizes his wrong. He goes back to God, and there's this change. Repentance isn't just an admission of your guilt. You know that, right? Repentance is a thing where you actually have a mindset change. You realize the actions or the decisions of your life are not going in the right direction, so you turn away from those. And it says David turns away from those things, but then... The story gets difficult. Basically, Bathsheba's pregnant, and she has this baby, and the baby ends up not living. The baby dies. And I want to pick up the story there, because you've got to imagine 
I want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of this story. It's, it's craziness. Murder, extra wives, pregnant, baby, death. It's terrible. This does not make a good movie. And we pick up in Romans or in 2 Samuel 12. And I want to start right in verse 20. So, well, basically what happens, it says on verse 18, on the seventh day the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? And when David saw them whispering, he realized what happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. So David just finds out his child has died. And in verse 20, it says this, Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes, and he went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. I want to stop here for a second. So what had taken place while the child was sick is David basically had a mental breakdown. And he, and he did what was customary for their time when someone was mourning, weeping, when they were, when, when something difficult, he, he put on sackcloth and it says he was weeping. He refused to eat for so long that his advisors had gotten worried about him, like he's not eating, he's not drinking. And that's why they were afraid to tell him. If we tell him he died, what then will happen to David? But what happens here is extremely different than the reaction they thought would take place. It says he got up from the ground, he washed himself, he put on lotions, he changed his clothes, and he went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. Listen, this story is brutal. And I can imagine that most people listening today probably have some pretty brutal stories as well. I'm not sure if it's as bad as this story or not, but I know that every one of us, everybody in earshot of my voice, online and in this room, has had stories of loss and pain and death and difficulty and brokenness. Nobody's exempt from it. And I think even these last couple years with the pandemic and the, the, you know, the hostile nature of our nation and the division and the racism and the, the divide in political realms and all those things, I think that we've, we've kind of come to a place where it's easy for us to feel like David. We're, we're destitute. We're lying on the ground. We might not be literally wearing sackcloth and not eating. Maybe some of us overeat. But we're, we're literally barely making it by because of the news of our life, the situations of our life. Yet in the midst of this, when, when it seems like David should be at his lowest after his, his child dies, he goes to the tabernacle and worships. He changes his clothes. He washes himself. I want to start today by saying Jesus wants us to worship in the midst of pain. And I want to start there because it's, you know, I once heard this guy say this, and I've said it many times myself. I really believe, now listen, worship isn't just what we did here, though it was. It's songs, it's music. David knew that very well. He wrote many psalms, and we're going to read three of them today. 
but it's also the way we live our lives. It's the choices we make. It's the way we position ourselves to follow God. And it says when he worships him, what we're going to see is that something changes within him when he worships in the midst of pain. And I've heard this said before, that really on this side of heaven, the only thing we can give God we can't give when we're in heaven is worship in the midst of pain. Because once we get to heaven, right, we know that God's going to wipe away all the tears, that he's going to restore all things, that the, the earth will be restored, that relationships will be restored, that we'll be with him in heaven. And so this sorrow thing that we're used to here won't exist anymore, but yet we'll still want to worship him. And it's not just songs and singing and going to church. It's, it's with our decisions in our life. But yet on this side, there's something incredibly powerful that when we feel lost, pain, difficulty, and destitution, and we choose to worship him anyway, God can do a miracle. So I want to now turn to Psalm 51. So just remember this story. Now we're going to turn to Psalm 51, and, and I want to pick up. The reason I want to read Psalm 51 is because this, this is most likely understood. It says when David went to the tabernacle and worshipped, he would often write his own songs. This is the song that he wrote about that situation. Psalms 51. Some of your Bibles may say it. The top of my Bible actually says, this is a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So he finds out his son dies. He goes to the tabernacle to worship and he writes this psalm. He starts by saying, Have mercy on me, O God. Psalm 51. You can read along with me. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. So he's owning it, right? This is the, he's owning what he did. And he's pleading with God for his mercy. Verse 5, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Verse 7, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And then listen to this. Oh, give me back my joy again. Put yourself in this guy's shoes. You know what? I'm going to guess if you're in this room today or if you're watching, most likely you haven't murdered somebody. If you have, then it's okay. You're in good company. Because David commits some of the worst sins that we could probably imagine, and yet he goes to God, and he knows that God is going to purify him, going to wash him clean. He says, make me whiter than snow. He knows the salvation that exists in following God, and then he asks him, please bring me back my joy again. Give me back my joy. Okay, now, listen, for most of us as humans, when we've done something this wrong, we tend to put ourselves and others who have acted this way in a certain category. All we want to think about is justice, right? Let's just imagine murderers in our society today. Where do we put them? Prison. Some, so heinous, they get capital punishment, death. 
And most of us in the situations in which they actually did those things, we would honestly think this is right, this is just. And even for ourselves, when we've committed like heinous things in our life, we tend to put ourselves in this category of continual punishment, right? We think about ourselves, I I screwed up too much. I've done this same thing over and over and over. I, I have, there's nothing left for me. And even if, even if we can grasp that Jesus loves us and we're gonna go to heaven, we don't think we deserve anything maybe other than that. Even if we can grasp that I'm gonna get into heaven, we tend to still live our lives on this side on earth in a place of just like barely existing. We settle in and like, think we just deserve all the terrible things that life gives us. It's never going to be better than this. Nothing's ever going to be good for me. I, I screwed up too much. This is, this is just my lot in life. And we live in this place of destitution. Yet what I love about this psalm is that, that even though David commits these crazy, terrible things, he comes and he asks, God, give me back my joy. Bring me back to a place where I can have joy. Not just a barely getting by kind of life, but a a life where actually I have fulfillment and purpose and joy. Where I can wake up in the morning and even though I've done the worst things in the world, I can wake up and realize the goodness of my God and that my life has purpose and that I can have joy. Imagine a recovery like that. You know, I, I've never struggled with any huge addictions. But I, I kind of want to share with you just a little pet peeve I have about things like AA. Now listen, if you love AA, awesome, go to it. But one of the things that AA teaches is once an addict, always an addict. BS. I want to swear at that. Because the truth is this, you were not born an addict, even if you were in your mother's womb, because the way you were designed was not that way. And so God can restore and recover us no matter what we've been dealt with in this life. And I want to say today that maybe you say those things of your life, oh, I'm always going to be an addict, or I'm always going to be this way. I'm telling you, God can restore things to you that maybe you've never even known. Because the design that God has for his children is good, pleasing, and perfect, it says. I love this. He writes this. He says, oh, give me back my joy again. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This is what I want to declare over 2022. He is going to restore the joy of his salvation over your life. I don't care your situation. I don't care what you've experienced. God can and will restore the joy of his salvation over you. Now, it doesn't mean that pain isn't there. It's real. It's actually there. Look at David's life. He didn't just turn into some 
non-human having emotions anymore, but he knew that in the midst of this, this incredible God of the universe could restore his joy if he asked. God wants to restore your joy this morning. Psalms 9. I'm just going to read two scriptures. It's in your notes. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell you of all the marvelous things you have done. Listen, you need help finding a little joy? Remember all the marvelous things he's done. Sometimes we just focus on the, on the bad. Sometimes we're just so focused in on the difficulty of the moment that it's hard for us to step back and remember that there's probably an overarching picture of marvelous things God has done in your life. And if he hasn't, he can start today. What are the marvelous things that God has done? He says, I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalms 30, I want to turn there and read a couple scriptures as well. Actually, we'll probably read the whole thing. Now listen, Psalms 30 was a psalm that that David wrote at the the dedication of of the temple area. And this was actually written about 15 years after Psalm 51. Just so you know, the Psalms are not in any kind of chronological order. So Psalm 30 actually is written after Psalms 51. It's written after David's life of making the mistakes with Bathsheba, her husband, and all of those things. And even more mistakes he's made with Absalom. In the, in the meantime, there's, David made lots of mistakes in his life. And we get to Psalms 30, and I love this. He sa- and he, we actually sang some of these words today. I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. 2022, this is our morning. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me and I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, What will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent, O oh Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. I read this psalm and I, I think of the story from 2 Samuel 12 and I, I believe this is, this is written about 17 years later. I believe that David's writing this in, in kind of this retrospective thinking way and realizing that even in his worst moments, even in the moments where he's not just condemned for his action but also destitute because of the death of his child that he literally says you've turned my mourning into joyful dancing and I I, want to say today if God can do it for him if he can do it for me he can do it for you this is the greatest thing about Jesus The, the greatest thing 
And we see it story after story after story in the Bible, all the way with the culmination of the cross. Because Jesus takes these things that literally represent death and pain, and he changes them for life and joy and purpose. He takes a cross, the death on this cross, he takes that, the, the most obscene way to die that the Romans could think of, and he exchanges that death for joy and life and grace and purpose. He says, oh, you're experiencing death and mourning. You're experiencing all of these things. Well, listen, I've got an exchange program you might want to sign up for. I want to give you joy. Instead of mourning in these sackcloth clothes, I want to change what you're wearing. I want to give you joyful dancing. I love this. This wording around clothes in the Bible, you, you see it a lot. You know, a, a number of months ago, I spoke on uh, a parable called the wedding feast and where, you know, it kind of ends with this weird story where this guy's not wearing the right clothes in the wedding and the, the king throws him out, but yet we realize something it doesn't say in this story, but contextually it teaches us that the wedding clothes would have been provided, he just didn't put them on. And I think it's the same for us today that the reality of our lives don't always change when we come to Jesus. The reality of the world doesn't just change with the snap of our fingers or even the whisper of a prayer. It doesn't just immediately change when we ask for it to change. But this is what I do believe God changes far more easily than our external circumstances. He changes us. You were always asking for something on the outside of us to change. God, fix this situation. Fix this person. Fix this, this dynamic. Fix this job situation. Fix this, God. Yet really, at the end of the day, the only thing God is interested in changing is you. And I think that's what I love reading out of Psalms 51 and Psalms 30. And we see David's heart. He doesn't come and say, God, can you fix everything else? Can you make everything else okay? He says, create in me a clean heart. Restore your joy back to me. Do something within me that will make me different. That's what Jesus wants to do in you this year. Listen, I cannot say that the pandemic will be over in 2022, but I'm saying you can have joy in the midst of it. I'm not saying our political situation will get any better for a long time or ever, but I'm telling you that we can have joy in life in the midst of it. I'm not saying that even your marriage, your circumstance will work out the way you want, but I'm telling you that even in the midst of it, joy can come. God wants to restore joy to us this year. I guess I'm just tired of living a just-getting-by kind of life. Anybody else? I'm tired of just waiting for something else to be over. We're always waiting, things, you know, if the pandemic was just over, things would be okay. If this job was just over, man, it'd be okay. If this week was just over, life would be okay. If this conversation would be over, life would be okay. <laughs> We're always waiting for something to be over, thinking it's going to be different, but it's not. You want to know why? Because we're still here. But in the midst of it, God wants to give us joy. 
He wants to fulfill our life with joy. John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. God wants to give us an abundant life. John 16.20, I'm going to preach on this more in the next couple of weeks, but he says, You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Jesus is talking to his disciples about him leaving and about kind of what things are going to look like. And he's basically saying, you will grieve. There will be sorrow. There will be difficulty. But I'm telling you, it will turn to wonderful joy. Would anybody like their life right now, whatever situation, to turn to wonderful joy? I would. God wants to turn our lives to wonderful joy. Jesus wants to make an exchange with you this morning. Your grief, your sorrow, your mourning for his joy. Jeremiah 31. He's known as the weeping prophet. Honestly, if you read most of what he says, it's just not that fun. But in verse 13 of 31, he says this, and he's, I believe he's repeating some of the psalmists. And I even believe that a lot of Jesus' words in the future come, he's, he's, he's often inspired by the scripture and they use this exact same language. He says, for I will turn their mourning into joy and I will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. He wants to give you joy in exchange for your sorrow. You know what I like about this exchange idea? It's an exchange. He doesn't just add joy to your life. He takes the sorrow away. You give him the sorrow, he gives you the joy. And I believe that one of the main ways we do this is by learning to worship him in the midst of pain. I tell you, there is not a Sunday morning that goes by that I don't come and sit in this front row and my mind is just filled with details. Things about church, you know, I'm, I'm working when I'm here, honestly. And I'm thinking about everybody else. I'm thinking about this. Sometimes I come, you know, on a Sunday morning and I'm exhausted from the week and I'm just like, okay, another Sunday, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes your pastor feels that way. But I sit here and we do, we start worship and everything changes. Something recenters in my heart. Something reminds me in my head. Something changes within my spirit. And I think that's why the psalmist, and we saying the words, he speaks to his soul often. He says, I command my soul. Praise the Lord. Because sometimes when we just choose to praise God, even in the midst of not understanding and difficulty, it changes us on the inside. If you want the first step to joy, learn to worship him when you don't feel like it. Learn, learn to thank him for something that maybe hasn't even happened yet. God wants to exchange your sorrow for his joy. Why don't we stand this morning? The worship team can come. I want to leave you with these two questions before I pray for you. It says, what is clothing you now that you need to let Jesus change for joy? What's clothing your life right now? Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's mourning. Maybe it is sorrow. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's addiction. Whatever that thing is, whatever you would call that thing that's over your life, what is it so that God can exchange it this morning? Maybe it's death. 
Maybe you've contemplated taking your own life. God wants to exchange that this morning for new life. I think every one of us in this room, everybody watching online, knows we need to exchange something this morning. But I want to start with one group of people who would say, I need Jesus' life first. Maybe you're listening, maybe you're in this room and watching, and you would say, I don't know if I'm actually a follower of Jesus. I don't know if this joy of salvation is even mine, because listen, you have to have salvation to have joy in it. And it's simple, it's not a difficult thing. Jesus did all the hard work first. He paid the price on the cross for every one of us, for all humanity. We simply have to come and receive that gift this morning. I want to pray for that group of people. If you're in this room, maybe we can just close our eyes for a minute and I'm going to pray. But listen, if you're in this room and that's you, I'd ask right now that you you just raise your hand and say, God, I want to exchange my life, my death for your life. Thank you. If you're at home, I, I want to ask you to do the same thing. If you're watching online, God can exchange the death of what your life looks like now for new life this morning. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment for that. But there's another group of people I want to ask you right now. Maybe you've identified there's some clothes I'm wearing that I shouldn't be wearing anymore. <laughs> what is the clothes in your life that God wants to exchange for joy? If that's you this morning, you want to exchange something, can we just lift our hands up? You can do both. You can do one. You know, often we just lift our hands, not just saying, oh, it's me, but simply saying, God, I surrender to what you want to do. So I'm going to pray over both of you right now. If you're in this room, I'm going to ask that you whisper to yourself, that you say to yourself, God, I want to exchange with you. God, we ask right now that you'd exchange right now death for life. God, that you'd exchange every person that's watching or listening that says, I don't want to live in my death. I want to live in your life, God, that this would be a moment to start a life with you. And God, I pray right now for everybody else in this room, everybody watching, that we would look at the sorrow and the anxiety and the difficulty and the problems of our life and we'd say, God, we don't want to keep wearing these clothes. So God, we take those off this morning and we put on your joy. So Jesus, I just ask right now that your joy would overflow in people's life. In this moment, God, right now, that something would start to seep into their hearts into their souls, that your Holy Spirit would do a miracle in situations that joy would return where it seems like it's impossible for it to happen. And God, I pray against the lies of the enemy that would say we don't deserve it. God, you paid for what we don't deserve. You paid for the joy that can be filled in our lives. So God, we receive your joy this morning. And God, I ask right now that you touch every heart in this room, every heart online, every person that listens to this, God. Let their life be filled with joy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I just want to remind everybody, too, today that We come together to be reminded, but it doesn't have to just happen on a Sunday. So as we 
and this time of gathering together. I will tell you, in just, just as Greg was saying, that we've all experienced pain. And in 2020, when God gave me the yearly word that I do as joy, I said, oh, is it for really good things? Like, are you going to heal my dad? And he says, it's because it's what you need. Because you need to be reminded. And I will tell you, I witnessed in that year, my mom and dad have joy of their salvation. That I witnessed them witness consistently with everything God was doing in their lives. And I saw as people came to pray, to encourage, that their spirits were lifted up and they were reminded of who God is no matter what is happening in our lives. So I just want to say to some of you that are suffering in this moment, that are struggling, that are begging for miracles, our God restores, but he's there alongside you to bring you joy throughout it all, no matter what. And today, I want to remind us all that we have to take action to step into that, to say, I'm going to gather together. I'm going to decide to see what God is doing. Amen? We can focus in our minds of other things, or we can choose what God has. So let's choose today, let's choose throughout this week to see the things that God is doing in our lives, right? Today, after service, there is a meet and greet. We have donuts and coffee. We have a house church that's there to gather, to meet with anybody interested. If you raised your hand for prayer in any way today and you just want to talk with somebody else about what's going on in your life, they would love to meet with you. If you're online, we would love to hear more of your story of what's going on and how we can walk alongside you. Please reach out. We can't come and we can't reach out to you where you're at right now, but we would love you to instant message if you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, message any of the leaders at our first name at ntcmathena.com. We want to know you. We want to know each other, right? We want to encourage one another. If you're not a part of a house church, this is how your joy can be renewed. Join a house church. That's just what we call our gathering in between the week and in between the Sundays, to be purposeful, to be reminded of who God is in our lives. Amen? All right. Be released today. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for coming. Nine o'clock again tomorrow. Uh, next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.